You're listening to The Hungry Soul with Rachel Foy, covering all topics from spirituality, mindset work, beliefs, relationships, food, body image, business, money, self-expression, and more, helping you become a soul-fed woman. Hello there, gorgeous soul, and welcome to episode 71 of The Hungry Soul podcast with myself, Rachel Foy. How are you doing? You might have noticed I haven't done a new podcast for about four or five weeks. In fact, it might even be a little bit longer. Um, No reason for it, apart from we've just been doing a few things in the background and streamlining a few things, getting some stuff ready for you guys towards the end of the year in 2019. Um, And it's taken a little bit of my time, to be fair. So, So that's kind of why I've been missing in action. However, as of now, there are going to be some slight changes to the Hungry Soul podcast, all for the better, so I just want to share them with you. So what I've decided to do is we're going to start doing more shows which are taken from other places through which I am passionately talking about these subjects. So over in my Facebook group, which is called the Soul Fed Woman, the Movement, which is free to join, This is my private Facebook group. Every single week over there, we're gonna start doing some live mini workshops on topics which I know you are interested in. So we're gonna be talking about food and about body image. We're gonna be talking about mindset stuff. We're gonna be talking about spirituality. We're gonna be talking about about so many things to be honest like there's literally a list in front of me as I'm sat here so those are going to be happening over in the Facebook group which as I said is completely free to join you can search for soul fed woman the movement and once those little workshops are finished every week we're going to then do what we need to do to get it over here onto the hungry soul podcast you can also then listen to it and there's also going to be guest interviews here and over there and every once in a while, I will be jumping onto the Hungry Soul podcast to do these solo episodes, which I really enjoy doing. So quite a bit of change, but all for the better. And it just basically means that you get more access to the stuff which I know. If you just allow to do what it needs to do, it can just spark those little shifts within you so that you can start to really step into that place of becoming your own soul-fed woman. Now, In the next couple of weeks, we have also got the 21 Day Food Freedom Reboot starting again. This is the third time that I've run it in about three or four months. Every single time it's just gotten better and better. So the 21 Day Food Freedom Reboot is mindset strategy and accountability for women who are fed up of fighting food in their bodies and who know that they're hungry for more out of life. Now, the best part of this is it's been taught live. It's 21 days, you and I in a private Facebook group, and every single day you'll be getting something from me that's gonna start challenging you, um, really sort of helping you step out of that place of fighting food. So overeating, emotional eating, binging, body insecurities, and everything else that kind of comes with those topics. The best part is that the whole 21 day Food Freedom Reboot is only £49 or $69. That is it. So this is accessible to everyone. And it really is an awesome place to start if you are completely new to this conversation that we have over here on how you can start to become this authentic, um, truest, most connected, aligned version of you, which is your soul-fed woman, because that woman doesn't fight food, that woman is not body-obsessed, that woman doesn't worry about what people think of her, because she's in her power, and she's in her truth, and she's unapologetic for who she is. So, if you want some more information about that, we start on December the 1st, 
um, you can head over to soulfedwoman.com forward slash food freedom reboot have a little nosy kind of see how it works um, and also there's the sign up buttons towards the bottom but as I've said the whole 21 days which is taught live is just 49 pounds or 69 dollars okay right then so let's move on to today's guest so today on the show we have got a Ashtanga yoga teacher this is the delightful Sarah Intonato and this is someone who, once again, I met in the online space, which tends to happen with pretty much all of the guests here in the on the Hungry Soul podcast. But I invited Sarah onto the show to, to talk about yoga, to be honest. Um, she is a woman, as you're about to find out, who's committed to a daily practice of yoga in 2001 as a means of coping with debilitating anxiety attacks. And at 20 years old, yoga provided Sarah with the tools to manage her anxiety attacks and also a renewed sense of clarity in her life. So a few years later in 2005, she made her first trip to India to study and deepen her connection to the Ashtanga yoga lineage. And that same year, she also led her first ever yoga retreat over in New York. And incredibly inspired by her trip to India, she committed to living her passion of helping others heal through yoga in a variety of settings. And she also noticed that there was a greater need for spiritual tools to be used off the mat. So Sarah has since gone on to create two online yoga philosophy courses, which allow students to bring yoga off the mat and into their lives 24-7. So she shows her students that yoga can heal anyone so long as he or she is willing to do the work with commitment. So she came on the show, we had a fab conversation about yoga and I'm gonna just hand it over to that because the conversation was wonderful. Enjoy everyone. So, and here she is, hello. Hi Rachel, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. I've got so many questions. I know that we're gonna have a fabulous conversation, um, but before we do, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? So anyone that's not yet come across you and your brilliant work, what are you all about and who are you? <laughs> who am I? I am Sarah Intonato. I have been teaching yoga for 15 years. I'm based in New York. Um, I'm originally from Boston. And I really resonated with your work because I come from a past of disordered eating. Um, as a teenager, I had a really intense challenge with anorexia. Um, a lot of perfectionistic tendencies were in place. And I don't think these tendencies were due to anybody or anything else. I think they're just my own tendencies that I was born with. In yoga, we have a word for that. It's called samskaras, your own tendencies that you're born with that your life's work is about managing. And it really wasn't until I was in my early 20s that though I had been technically recovered from eating disorders for a few years, that I actually started to feel at peace with myself. And it wasn't until I started doing yoga that I actually started to love myself and appreciate who I was. And that was a huge motivator for me to continue practicing yoga and eventually share it with other people because I figured if it could help me go from a background of really hating myself in so many ways, never feeling good enough, always feeling unworthy, undeserving, to appreciating who I am, I thought this could work for anybody. And so I really felt compelled to share and here I am 15 years later still doing that. I love it. Do you know what? I think every single guest on the show has had their own personal experience of something yeah that they've like overcome and that they've learned or that they've kind of, you know, got pulled into. 
and you can tell that their passion is like it's because yeah. you know they know the power of what they're doing and I know I know from you know having spoken to you that you're yes. exactly the same so can we go straight down to basics here yes yeah <laughs> okay you so you've said that you do yoga you're a yogi I know that you're super super experienced and you've we're going to talk about this um, in a little bit more depth soon however I'm also assuming that there are going to be loads of people listening who maybe have kind of dismissed yoga or mm. they don't think yoga is for them or they think they need to be a certain type of person to get into yoga so if we keep this really simple, yeah. can you actually tell us what is yoga? Like, why is it so important? Because I know that there's, it's kind of a bit of a buzzword right now. There's so many, so many Instagram feeds of like yogis in bizarre positions, but <laughs> yoga's, yoga's got so much to it, isn't it? It's not just about mat yeah. work from what I understand. It's not. And it's an ancient science. And if you're teaching poses and stretches to somebody, that's nice but that's only one eighth technically of what yoga actually is. Wow. Yoga is an eight limbed path. And much of that path deals with work in terms of how you are acting socially and ethically in your community with other people, how you are governing your behavior with yourself. And only when we address these things can we go to deeper places. And if you take the social media away, if you take away what is now a commonplace means of advertising yoga, what you really have is an inward journey. You have people who get on their mats and all they're essentially doing is being willing to look at themselves a little bit more deeply. That's what yoga is for. You don't have to have any prerequisites. Um, my teacher was known for saying anybody can practice except the lazy person. So if you're willing, and doesn't matter your physical limitations, if you're willing, there is a way when you find the right teacher you can practice. If you're willing to do the work, you can reap the benefits of a steadier mind, greater clarity, greater concentration, a greater sense of ease and contentment within yourself. And that's really what it's all about. I often tell my students that physical fitness is a byproduct of a very focused yoga practice. So if you're getting on your mat for the right reasons, then yes, your body in a physical sense will benefit, but that's not the goal. The goal is to gain clarity of mind so that we're less susceptible to our mental distractions, to the stimuli all around us, and can instead really stay connected to who we truly are. Oh my goodness, I got goosebumps with you saying that then. I'm going to be completely honest. I think I've shared this before on kind of earlier podcasts. I've never gotten into yoga, okay? There's a part of me that really wants to, and I've tried different teachers, I've tried different types, and I've never kind of found that kind of connection of like, oh, this is my thing. And I think you have just actually summarized why, because it's like, mm -hmm. it's just a very small part of actually what the whole philosophy is about. I need yeah. you, you need to come over to the UK. You need to- I see students through Skype. Oh, there we go I then. We'll and talk, we'll talk. We will. But I think that's an important point that you're bringing up because now yoga is so commonplace and yoga teacher trainings are so commonplace that it's very easy to walk into a studio, which is established, and not necessarily get a quality teacher. And sometimes you find a gem of a teacher right away. And I was lucky enough to, and that's amazing. But more often than not, you have to shop around a little bit or a lot. And something that people often overlook as well is that in the very first chapter of the Yoga Sutra, which is the ancient text of yoga teaching as we know it, says Atta Yoganushasanam. And it means now that you are ready, you can and will embark upon this path of yoga. 
only when you're ready. So I often describe that as very much like somebody who's ready to embrace sobriety. Only when they're ready yeah. to take the 12-step journey will they be successful. Before that, they might dip their toe in and out. They might dabble a little bit. But long-term, will it work? Probably not. But when all, they have that moment that they're ready to embrace it fully, the right sponsor appears, the right group appears, the right supports appear, they're committed, they're successful. And yoga is very much the same. When we're ready, and everyone has a different point when they're ready, the right teacher appears, the right community appears, we start to embody the teachings 24 hours a day, not just for that time on our mat. It's no longer just stretching. It, if you have a good teacher, it never is. But that's very, very important because some people feel like I should get into yoga. It's good for me. And then they beat themselves up for not doing it. And maybe they're just not ready yet. When they're ready, it happens. Hmm. So maybe that's why. Maybe that's that kind of my, my sort of reason why I've not yet gotten into it. But maybe, maybe it's on its way. Um, yes. Can we talk about, um, you were saying at the very beginning about it's not just about poses and stretches. That that's one eighth of the actual whole kind of yoga concept, um, yoga philosophy. Yes. I want to put the poses to one side because that's what most people know of yoga, I'm assuming. Yes. And can we talk about the yoga philosophy aspect? Because this fascinates me and this is why I wanted you here. Because this kind of inner work, connecting to ourselves, really going deep is obviously what I do in my way. It's how you do it in your way. So what is the yoga philosophy? Like what can you share with us? Eager to know. I teach yoga philosophy very traditionally from the yoga sutra. So I always look to the work that I've done with my teachers and still continue to do and draw from the teachings as straightforward as possible. So I really try to impart what yoga actually is, as we've discussed a tiny bit so far, and then help my students to translate that into everyday life. Because let's face it, the Yoga Sutra were written down for the first time Nobody knows exactly when, but at least 1,500 years ago. Wow. And okay. when I read them, it's a little bit like reading Old English, I would imagine. There's a little bit of translation which is lost in some which you have to really do some digging around. And so I aim to help my students translate the knowledge in an applicable way. So it's not just something that they read and then put away on the bookshelf, but instead more like a guide manual for life. And when you do that, what you realize is humans have not evolved that much in the last 1500 <laughs> years. All of our mental chatter is still there. Yeah. All of our ability to fall into a place of distraction or emotional disruption is still very much there. And our work is constantly redirecting ourselves into a more centered place. And the easiest, most straightforward way to describe this is through the eight limbs of yoga, which we touched on before. The practice of poses is only one limb. Mm. Other limbs, I'll go through them all for you. Uh, yeah, they start with the yama and the niyama, and those are basically our social and ethical observances within ourselves, how we want to conduct ourselves within a moral way in our community, but also within ourselves. And each of them has five components. So I always joke that they're like the 10 commandments of yoga, <laughs> rules to follow for being honest and truthful not harming yourself and other people, for example, um, not hoarding, not being greedy, not stealing other people's thoughts, ideas, time, and really instead acting with honor. 
mm. and connection. Um, to look more within ourselves, the practice of contentment, the practice of cleanliness and purity of our environment and our thoughts. Um, and I could teach a whole college semester on just those two limbs of yoga. They get I very much. Yeah. And, um, but that's where we start. And often people start with the practice of poses because it makes them much more connected to their feelings, to their bodies, their ability to concentrate becomes much stronger. And that sets the stage for deeper levels of inner work. We can't do inner work, mind, body work, if we're not aware. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why we start with the body, because you can feel the body. You can feel what's going on. It, it's very, very clear what's happening. So those are the first three limbs of yoga. And then we get into pranayama, which is deeper breath work. Pratyahara, which translates to turning our attention inward. So instead of letting all the sounds, sights, stimuli from your five or six senses around you pull you in every direction, it is the practice of knowing that all of that exists and then making the choice to turn your energy back in towards yourself and be more aware of yourself. Dharana is the practice of concentration. That's the sixth limb. Dharana is the practice of meditation. It's the seventh limb. And the eighth limb is samadhi. And that is very loosely translated as bliss. I think a more accurate translation is a state in which you have become so focused and so connected to your higher self that you are no longer susceptible to what's outside pulling you in any direction. And I always like to tell my students that you'll get little glimpses of that when you're in your poses. You might get little glimpses of it when you're outside for a walk. And then as soon as you realize you're there, you come back. <laughs> you're distracted again. But that's how it works. And that's how you get a little taste for those deeper states which are available to you. And in the Yoga Sutra, we are reminded that each of these eight limbs is equally important. Mm. You can't just practice poses and expect to gain all the benefits of yoga. That won't work. They each have to be practiced for a long time. But the first five limbs deal more with external behaviors. And the last three limbs deal more with inner work. And therefore, the first five are really the foundation of setting the right stage so that your inner work can be effective. And I think sometimes this can be hard for people to wrap their minds around when they want something really fast. Mm. Because clearly this work takes time and it's not instant gratification. But I do think that relatively speaking, you can change your behaviors, you can change your patterns, your thoughts, the way you talk to yourself relatively quickly. If you look at how many years you've built up patterns that maybe are not favorable, yeah. within a year, maybe less, you'll start to see deeper changes within you. And I think in that regard, yoga can be very much like watching grass grow on a day-to-day -day basis. It seems like I'm doing this, but am I really changing? Yeah. Everything seems the same. But then when you look back and over the course of three months or six months or 12 months, you think, oh, wow, I'm really different now than I was even just three months ago. Mm. But the day-to-day -day is not glamorous, so to speak. So that's really the foundation of how 
yoga works in changing our life. And the only little thing that is really a big thing is that you have to do the work. You can know about the eight limbs of yoga. You can read about them, but you have to actually practice them to be so, effective. So actually then from, from what you're saying, and I, 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 did, I had no awareness of this at all. I just blindly assumed yoga was like the posing and the stretching and kind of getting really good at them. Um, but the yoga philosophy that you're talking about, like this is, this is like proper, useful, practical, really important things that so many yes. of us we don't do so it's kind of like about being centered and mindful and connected and and aware so how how does or how do you teach your students to actually use these because i know before we kind of hit record we were having a quick chat and you said it's not just about being on your mat for 90 minutes like it's it's all the time so yes. how do you actually incorporate the yoga philosophy on a, on like a day-to-day -day basis like what does it look like what do you do Sure. Well, I'll give the example of practicing honesty and truthfulness, which is from the first limb of yoga, from the yamas. It's the second yama. And I always tell students that your physical practice of poses is much like your mental decluttering work. Mm. It clears out all the chatter so that you have greater clarity. When you have greater clarity, you know when you're saying something truthful in a kind way, you know when you're saying something truthful in a way that's not going to be received very well, you'll know that timing is very important if you have to have an honest discussion with somebody about something really intense. Whereas when we're in a state of heightened distraction, we may not know or care about those filters. So usually the way I work with my students is I get to know who they are, I get to know where they are in their lives, and we do prescribe them a physical practice, and then we do some homework applicable to using these principles on a day-to-day -day basis. And people who work with me know that I'm going to hold them accountable for things like this, because this is the whole point. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why I love working in a one-on-one -on -one setting or a small group setting, because I think there's no substitute for accountability and there's no substitute for personal attention. And as we've touched upon, a lot of the knowledge of deeper levels of yoga philosophy is either not discussed in the studio setting, or it's, even if the teacher knows it deeply within his or herself, it often doesn't have a place in the classroom, mm. which I think is a shame. And I really like to make practice sustainable for students. I wanna teach them how to practice for a lifetime. And if you want to do that, having the knowledge of how to embrace yoga off the mat makes it easier and more enjoyable. And you see greater results from the changes that you're trying to make. So it's more gratifying because you feel like you're not just going through the motions, you're seeing your life improve around you. And while it takes work, having the right support along the way makes it much easier and approachable and more fun to do it. Absolutely. I had no idea. It's like you just opened up this whole conversation around yoga. I'm like, oh my gosh, it sounds amazing. <laughs> I need I'm some. So <laughs> we all need some. I need some. So, um, so from 
from your experience then, and I, I kind of want to just backtrack a little bit because we sort of quickly skimmed over your story at the beginning to sort of get into like the, the yoga philosophy, etc. But obviously yes. here on The Hungry Soul, we do talk a lot about food and about low self-esteem, not feeling good enough. You said or you touched on the fact that you'd had your own eating disorder. Um, and this might seem like a really big question to ask, but why do you think for you specifically, kind of speaking from your own experience, why do you think yoga was the thing that really helped you? like overcome your um, anorexia that you had at the time. Like, what was it about yoga that really just helped you let that go or heal it from, from your experience? I think growing up, I was always an overachiever. I always had to have the best marks in school and I did. I got a scholarship to university. I did ballet and in a very healthy environment and I did figure skate in a very unhealthy environment and weight was a big topic of conversation and those types of activities. Mm. And I think I just got in the habit of looking at the scale and if it didn't read a certain number, I would feel unworthy and not good enough. And while I do credit traditional therapy and having a therapist with helping me to get out of those patterns of not eating enough, overly overanalyzing the process, it didn't teach me how to feel at peace within myself. I would then look at the scale after I no longer was anorexic and feel worse because it was heavier than I wanted it to be. And this went off and on for years. And when I started practicing yoga, I quickly realized it was the only time of my day where I wasn't thinking about my body image, my weight, being good enough in some way or shape or form in my life. And I actually felt quiet. Yeah. And in that quiet, I think over time, I started to realize there was a lot of good within me, but I would never have scratched that surface if I hadn't found the space for my mind to be quiet. And at that time, I knew nothing about yoga philosophy. I didn't know why I liked yoga. I didn't know why my mind was quiet. I just knew that it was. And that was enough for me to go to my next class day after day. And then eventually I wanted to take a deeper look because I was curious, how did this help me? Um, but it really started with that quiet space where you can feel deeper levels of fulfillment energetically, spiritually, even mentally. And I had never experienced that before from anything else. Yeah. I think that's really common, isn't it? Like with any kind of, dysfunctional relationship with food or with our bodies or just kind of life in general like we're often I know the women listening will, re will resonate with this completely like living in our heads so much yeah just having all the busyness and the thoughts and the, just the inner dialogue like it and it can be exhausting mm -hmm. um, and I know well from my very limited experience of yoga which as I said it's not very much but I have done a little bit I did notice that actually it was just that that quiet time of concentrating on doing what I was doing and not really thinking beyond that particular moment, which I guess is, is why it's so practical and so useful because it does bring us back to our center, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. And we quickly realized that we're either in that state of attention and clarity or we're not. You can't be kind of in that state. You either are there and experience is quiet, maybe for a moment, maybe for hours or days, or you're in a state of distraction. And when we're in a state of distraction, that's when we drop things in the kitchen, 
that's when we miss our turn off the road because our mind is somewhere else. And when our mind is in the present moment and it's quiet, we're not overanalyzing things from the past, what we ate yesterday. We're not overanalyzing what we're going to eat tomorrow, for example. We're just in that moment right now, accepting ourselves as we are right now. And it sounds so simple that you think, I don't need to do that, it's so simple. But it's so profoundly rich yeah. in terms of what we can take away from that experience. And I really believe that's why yoga works. Absolutely. We're talking about mindful then. Is there any connection between like mindfulness and yoga? Like, is that, is that kind of, has like, because mindfulness, again, it's something that often we hear being spoken about and it's like we practice mindfulness or mindful eating. Is there any connection between mindfulness as it's taught now and like the yoga philosophy or are they kind of separate things? I know mindfulness has its own philosophy and its own way of being taught. Um, I've heard of some people who teach it. I'm not very familiar with how that works. But what I can say is that when we're in that state of distraction, we're not mindful. Mm. When we're in a state of attention, we have the ability to be more intentional with everything that we're doing. So we're not doing things by accident. We're not making decisions without a deep thought process or being present. So I think that ultimately mindfulness can come from being in a state of yoga, being in a state of clarity. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Sometimes it's easier to approach something like yoga, which for some people can be intimidating when it doesn't have the title of yoga in it. So if someone embraces mindfulness, and that helps them in their life, I think that's great. No, that's a really interesting kind of concept of sort of reframing that. And actually, you've just led me on to something that I did want to ask you. Those people that might be intimidated by yoga, or they might have been put off by yoga, or they've not yet experienced yoga as it should be kind of taught, um, where, where does somebody begin? Because again, limited experience. I know there are different kinds, there are different types, there are different mm -hmm. kinds of styles or teachings. So how do you know what the right thing is and where do you begin and what do you need to do? I think now in today's yoga environment, there are so many options that it can seem confusing. I think the most effective way to have success is to find the right teacher for you. You can certainly do yoga online. And if you're intimidated to be in a studio environment, start there. Um, I often recommend to students to have a one-on-one -on -one lesson first if they're scared to go into a studio, especially. Um, I think that can give them more confidence in terms of what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing so that when they do go, they have a better awareness of where their limits are. They're more likely to honor them instead of pushing too hard or feeling like they have to keep up with someone else. So I think you can start in many ways. I think having a teacher is incredibly important. I teach the lineage of Ashtanga yoga, and I think that's a very effective method because traditionally, as it's taught in what's called Mysore style, and Mysore is the name of the city where it has uh, a home and where it's studied, where I'll be next week, actually. Oh, nice. And yeah, and I think that is a very special space because it allows for individualized attention within a group environment. So you have the community, you have that energy, which some people love, and you still have the ability to connect with your teacher in a one-on-one -on -one way 
and get the help where it's appropriate for you and take away from that environment almost a prescription of what the right practice is for you. And often group classes are not like that, right? We know you go to a class, the teacher calls out a pose, you have to try and get into it and get out of it at a certain pace. And for some people, that's intimidating, especially people who maybe are out of shape and feel like they can't keep up. For people who have had joint issues or of a certain age. And I think private lesson is never a bad way to start. I think starting with the right teacher is a very effective way to start. And if someone listening is in a place where there aren't any yoga studios nearby and they don't know where to go, go to my website, shoot me an email. I'm always happy to send a reference if you need a reference in terms of where you are in the world and, or an online reference. And I think just know that there are tools and there are supports for you to start exactly where you are. There's no one right way to do it. And I'm, I'm also a believer, as you said already, I think once we set that intention that we want to start and we want to get more involved, then the right teacher will show up and everything will kind of align. And it's like, oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Now, am I right um, in assuming you said you do Skype calls anyway, or you do your kind of work over Skype, but you do, do you do like an online program that I remember reading about? I do. I have a yoga philosophy course, which I have in two forms. The first is a four week or a four week study, which is a self-study program. And it's a nice introduction because we start at the very beginning of the yoga sutra and we literally go one sutra at a time break them down, talk about what they mean, talk about how to apply them in their life. And that's a wonderful jumping off point. And another way which I work with yoga philosophy is that I have a live group who meets once a month and we are ongoing. So we started with those four weeks, just like is available on my website still. But in other words, they kept going. And it's great because one thing we realize is you can never revisit any of this material too much. So while we've certainly gotten further along in the sutras, there are many weeks when we revisit yes. previous topics and they have a different meaning when they're spoken about in different contexts and applied in a different way. So I have another round of that starting in July. Um, but in the meantime, it's really been fun to watch people go through that first four week process and have that aha moment of realizing, oh wow, I have tools that I can use in my life. And it's not just about doing poses. And I think that's really important. I think that is by far the biggest message of this conversation that I'm taking away. It's like, it's not just about the poses, it's about the whole philosophy, the whole integrated way that this can be useful and how actually it's, it's arguably really important because if we're not connected and we're not listening and we're not doing the inner work, then we're constantly in that place of feeling overwhelmed and detached and actually not that happy with life. So, hmm, food for thought, pun intended. Yes. So, and I will say, and I will say, I'm not afraid to encourage students who are seeking a studio setting to call out their teachers. Meaning, if you go to a studio and you're curious about this teacher being a good fit for you, being knowledgeable enough to help you on your journey, just say, hey, you know, I'm wondering about studying the eight limbs of yoga in a deeper way. Could you tell me more about that? See what they say. If they have a blank face, find a different teacher. Amazing. There you go. That's a hot tip from, from the lady hot herself. Tip. <laughs> hot tip. <laughs> 
So for anybody that does want to know more about you though, Sarah, and your like courses, your Skype sessions, the, the amazing stuff that you're doing, um, obviously in the US, but worldwide, thank you internet. Yes. Um, where can we find you out there on the web? You can find me on my website, sarayoga, S-A-R-A yoga.com. You can find me, I'm on Instagram a lot. Uh, Sarah Intonato is my Instagram handle. And I do go on Facebook. My handle is the same. Um, but I am really having a lot of fun connecting with people via Instagram stories. I also feel like Instagram is a pretty supportive place yeah. and, and I like the energy over there. I like supportive environments and, um, but you can certainly email me right from my website. So with any questions that you have, you can pop over there and connect. And, um, I love now again, thank you internet that I'm meeting people from all over the world and realizing that underneath it all many of us are the same. We want contentment. We want joy in our lives. We want balance in our lives. And I love that we can support each other in doing that. No, absolutely. And these conversations as well. So thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom with us and with the audience. Cause I know that some people, uh, myself included, are going to take away a lot from this conversation and probably go and start seeking you out for some help. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. See you later. Take care. So there you go, gorgeous. Another episode brought to you by The Hungry Soul. Now, if that conversation has got you a little bit curious about your own journey right now and how perhaps you can start helping yourself to become more self-fed, but maybe you've got no idea where to start or what that might even mean for you, don't panic. We've got some fabulous gifts for you that are all completely free. All you need to do is head over to soulfedwoman.com forward slash free dash resources. And over there, there's workshops, handouts, meditations, and loads of other goodies. So go and grab as many of them as you want to. Can't wait to speak to you soon. Bye.